This episode of Didn't I Just Feed You is sponsored by By Heart. Longtime listeners know that Stacy and I both struggled with infant feeding stages with all our kids. Breastfeeding was hard, and choosing a formula was, well, also hard. We're thrilled to be working with By Heart, an infant nutrition company on a mission to make the best formula in the world. Not only is By Heart an easy-to-digest formula, their formula is also clinically proven for easier digestion, less spit-up, and softer poops versus leading infant formula. By Heart has their own patented protein blend that includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio, just like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. Curious about By Heart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with code D-I-J-F-Y for a limited time. That's byheart.com slash podcast and code D-I-J-F-Y, short for didn't I just feed you. Additional terms and conditions apply. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. I feel like many of our kitchen tools and the things that I find in my kitchen serve a purpose beyond just sparking joy. And so for me to sort of like pare it all down doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You? A podcast about feeding us kids. Hey, I'm Stacy, And I'm Megan. Stacy. I feel like this week we want to dive into a subject that's been super popular around the internet with our own perspectives on it. So I want to ask you a very personal question. Have you Marie Kondoed or con Marie'd your kitchen? <laughs> so, you know, I moved out of my house. I know last year. Right? Last year? Gosh, it's all Mo- such a blur. Moved out of it and then back into it. And then back in again, right, because I yeah. renovated. So I had two opportunities within nine months to edit everything in my life. And um, I feel like in a way I did sort of, without realizing it, con Marie my life. <laughs> <laughs> I really only brought things back into our renovated home that I really wanted and things that really fit the new space. The one little caveat there is that we have a storage unit that we can't access very easily, but we kept it and it cost us a little bit of money and we kind of hemmed and hawed because we were like, oh, is this a waste of money? But I just felt like, uh, like we have this stuff that still seemed really useful. And I was kind of overwhelmed with work and moving and the renovation. And I didn't have time to put it up for sale. And I didn't want to just give it up at the, you know, Salvation Army because I felt like I could, you know, get some value out of it. And I just held on to it. And there was no place to store it in my house. And actually this past week, we decided to set up our rental apartment as an Airbnb. Okay. And I'm so glad that I have all that stuff. We just grabbed a whole bunch of it. 
So thank goodness we had it. But anyway, the kitchen. I have very strong opinions about this. Have you Marie Kondoed your kitchen? Um, sort of. I'll take the long road in explaining. I read Marie Kondo's. She's a Japanese organizer, professional organizer. About four years ago, I read The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, which is her first book, and how a lot of people came to her. Although she's having this huge rise in popularity yes. because she now has a show on Netflix. Which I've and watched. And everybody's talking about it. And everyone's it. talking about it. I would say if you have some interest in her method, like you can watch the show and be inspired, but you really won't understand the method and can't really apply it to your life unless you read the book. I agree. I have a strong, a very strong opinion about that. But so about four years ago, I read her book and ba- it basically started this big chain of events, including us downsizing our house in a, like a huge way about, we went from about, 2,600 square feet to now we're in like 1,500 square feet and also moving across the country. So (laughs) a big change. change. And not to say that like, oh, it all stemmed from Marie Kondo. But when we started, like, I like to say I'm a wannabe minimalist. Like I want our life to be as streamlined as possible, but I'm also a realist. And there's some things that I'm never going to be able to get rid of, like kitchen equipment. And also Legos in my life. Like I would be happy to not have the tons and tons of Legos that we have, but they seem to spark joy for my kids. So I'm a wannabe minimalist, but not to the extremes of Marie Kondo. Well, it's good. Okay. So before we dive into the kitchen specific stuff, I'm glad that you identified yourself you know, on the spectrum, (laughs) because I feel like that's really good context. Yes. And it's funny because I self-identify as a maximalist. Yeah. Right. But you do it beautifully, like in a way I, and I see those, the spaces that are sort of like maximalist designed. And I'm always like, that's so beautiful. I, I wish I could pull that off, but I feel like it just looks cluttered and messy in my life. Well, okay. So it's funny because that's just what I was going to say. I think that maybe I'm a maximalist in my design aesthetic. So I love wallpaper. I like, I love wallpaper everywhere. (laughs) I love, and I guess this is probably going to spark a week of like a wallpaper and home design on my Instagram. (laughs) Do it. Right? Yeah. I feel like you haven't showed enough of your space. Maybe, maybe that's what it will do. So guys, I'm at Stacey Billis. It's just my name on Instagram. And maybe that's what I'll do once this airs. Yes. So I love pattern on pattern. I love having piles of books around. I love having different like vases. I love mixing colors. I love mixing pattern. I love walls of art. You know, I love having like big bunches of flowers everywhere. I love big chandeliers. Like I'm not (laughs) like, you know, I don't like just like clean lines, all white, few things person. But then actually, like when we started cleaning out our house, my husband, who does love like everything clean, like minimal design, was like, oh, let's keep that. Oh, that's something Isaac drew when he was two. I was like, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Like done, done. (laughs) Like it brought me joy. Like I wasn't thinking in Marie Kondo's terms, 
But I realized that that is what I was doing. I was like, I, I saw that. I loved it. I'm done with it. Like move on. Like, I don't want like piles and piles of paper. Like I love everything to look beautiful. (laughs) And I don't want like tons of files. And I don't want like, if we can digitize it, great. Like if we have no use for it, move on. I like to curate little packets from every grade of my kids' lives to give me kind of a sampling of what they were like. Like what was their handwriting like? What was their writing like? What was their art like? You know, what were their grades? And that's it like one little folder from each grade for each kid. And that's all I want to keep. But I'm a little bit different in the kitchen. Because you will hold on to more in the kitchen. You just were telling us in a recent episode about how you got rid of your slow cooker so that you could just use your instant pot or electric slow cooker or electric pressure cooker. Yeah. But what have you held on to that you feel like other people might not keep in their kitchen? Okay. So... I think of it a little bit akin to what did this uproar that was going on around books when the Marie Kondo Netflix series premiered. So this whole idea, and you can probably, because I think you're a little bit like deeper in the Marie Kondo world than me. Oh, I'm deep in, Her whole thing is, right? Okay, so why don't you explain (laughs) the whole like spark joy and if not move on? Because it applies to books too. So tell people what her philosophy is. There's sort of, well, I think it's more her process that's really interesting. Her process. And really hard for people, which is... She has a very specific order that she wants you to go through your house. And you start with clothes. And the very last thing that you do is sort of like all your paper and sentimental stuff. So you start with clothes, which is a little bit easier. But what she wants you to do that's different from a lot of decluttering processes is that instead of like going through one closet at a time, she wants you to literally pull every piece of clothing that you own out of storage, out of dresser drawers, out of closets, whatever you have stashed away. Like if you have winter clothes that you stashed under your bed, she wants you to pull all of it out at one time, which that is a shock in a, in and of itself. Cause you're like, I think of myself, obviously I think of myself as a minimalist, but then when I would like actually pull everything out at one time, I was like, I really have a lot more clothing or books or kitchen equipment than I think I do. So once you have all of the, you have this massive pile of your clothes, maybe it's on your bed or maybe it's on a couch in your house, you are supposed to literally pick up every piece of clothing and say, does this spark joy? And if it doesn't, you're supposed to get rid of it. And maybe I agree with that. Maybe I don't. I think there's some more, there's this great quote from the author, William Morris, where it's like, um, you shouldn't have anything in your house that you don't believe to be beautiful or useful. And so there are things that I have held on to where it's like, okay, this doesn't spark a ton of joy for me, but I do need to have snow pants when we go skiing twice a year. Like I can't get rid of these. Okay. Um, You're actually, yeah. Yeah. The very last thing is that She wants you to thank the things that you're going to get rid of. That's the last part of her process. So if you decide you're getting rid of those ski pants, you're supposed to say, you know, thank you for your service to me and then put them in your pile to donate. And that's supposed to close the loop. Okay. So the thing William Morris quote actually touches on my thing about the kitchen, this idea of usefulness. So my understanding of the uproar around books was that a lot of, I think, authors 
but you know, bibliophiles in general, and maybe just people in general, I don't know, but people were like, oh my gosh, no, like do not get rid of your books. I think the idea was, you know, pare your collection down to, I don't know, X number of books, maybe it's like 30 books or something. And of course, Marie Kondo did come out and say, you guys, no, like if you love books, you can have more than 30, but like, this is just kind of a guideline for generally speaking, you know, she's not, she's not enforcing that. Uh, but people were saying basically, you know, books are supposed to serve a purpose and it's not just to spark joy. You learn from books. Books should make you uncomfortable. Books um, can be for reference. You know, books are really, really important to our lives in all different ways. And as someone who believes in the centrality of cooking and the kitchen in family life, I feel like many of our kitchen tools and the things that I find in my kitchen serve a purpose beyond just sparking joy. And so for me to sort of like pare it all down doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That said, sort of condensing it and being honest about, you know, what you actually cook and what you actually need and being efficient about your space is really, really important because also when you have too much, when your space isn't organized, when you can't find what you need, when that blender is in that huge cabinet under the sink way in the back, you're never going to go back there and reach it. So what's the point of even having it? Either put it someplace where you can grab it easily or it's easily accessible or don't have it. Like all of those things I get and I understand and I believe in. But that to me means being strategic about how you organize your kitchen, how you kind of pare down and condense. That's why I don't have a slow cooker, but I have an instant pot. But my instant pot has a slow cooker functionality. That's why. And I figured out how to use that effectively. If it didn't, I'd have a slow cooker and I'd have a pressure cooker. (laughs) Because I'm not going to not have a slow cooker. Yeah. We should say we're probably an exception to the rules of what you really need in your kitchen and what you really don't because of what we do for work. Like I have two slow cookers and two instant pots because I need them for different reference points for recipe testing. But I'm so glad you got to this point of talking about it's less about what you have or don't have in your kitchen. And it's more about how you're organizing what you do have so that you actually make your cooking life easier. Although, Megan, don't you feel like every home cook who can afford it comfortably should consider having a slow cooker and a pressure cooker? No, I don't. I would, because I'm a wannabe minimalist, I would never advocate for having something that you're not going to use. And when people ask me, they're like, oh, should I get an Instant Pot? A lot of times I'm like, do you want to try mine for a week before you buy it? Because I think that there's like a very specific set of people who it works really well for. And then there are probably some people who, if they buy an Instant Pot, it will sit on their shelf. And to me that that's such a like such a travesty, like to spend money on something and 
for it to not make your life better. I agree. Okay, so you know what this gets to that's so interesting? This idea of how do we learn and how do we push ourselves in the kitchen? So um, this is interesting. This goes back to the ski story that I just told you before we got on the line (laughs) that I might have to reveal. Like, do you get the equipment and then learn because you have it and adapt to it? Or are you someone who just uses an Instant Pot or doesn't use an Instant Pot and then you get one or you don't accordingly? Do you know what I mean? Yes. So the question is like the cart before the horse almost like to which I would say I'm such a cheapskate. (laughs) That's hilarious. In most instances, I will probably like or rent something or try to find it used before I buy anything new. And I think that that's kind of important with cooking equipment like that you try before you buy, which is why I love this idea. I think that's great of like library of things. Have you heard of these? It's kind of like little shops where instead of like you having a a slow cooker and an instant pot and a blender and an immersion blender and a hand mixer and a stand mixer, this library of things or this little shop would have all those things or multiples of those things. And you have like a subscription there and you can go and borrow the stand mixer when you need it or borrow the instant pot to try it out. What I love about that is like not just the minimal ethos of it, but that like environmental impact of it, especially when you're talking about small appliances for your kitchen, but then other things like I'm like trying to think of power tools and clearly I don't know any of them. Like you probably don't need a jigsaw. <laughs> you probably don't need a jigsaw I'm like, what every the hell day. Is a jigsaw? <laughs> I don't actually know. Please don't ask me what it is. Um, but like you might use one twice a year. And so instead of everyone in your neighborhood owning a jigsaw, like if you just shared that one, we would have a lot less waste and I think people would be happier because they'd have less stuff that they were like, I don't know why I have a jigsaw. I don't know why I have a whole set of ski clothes that I only use once a year. I, I do. Oh, there she's. <laughs> you guys, she's going for the jugular on that one. I hate skiing. I don't do it very often. And yes, I have the perfect ski outfit just in case that I keep in storage. Thank you very much. <laughs> I actually do this with clothes. I just signed up for a new service. And I did it at like one o'clock in the morning. So I don't remember the name of it because I was so tired. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mom, hashtag mom life when you do your own things for yourself at 1am. But it's, I have a thing for designer clothes because I'm a sucker. And they're very expensive and you wear them for a couple of seasons and then it's out of fashion and you've spent all this money and it's wasteful. So what they do is, they basically recycle designer clothing and sell it to you in these boxes. Like they'll put together a box of five items based, like you work with a stylist who you take a little like survey, they determine your style, you work with them in the beginning, and then they put together a little box for you for like $25 is the styling fee. And then like, you know, a $300 shirt will be like 50 bucks. So it's kind of like used, it's pre-owned, it's all gently pre-owned and then you can give it back to them in the end. So it's kind of like rent the runway meets stitch fix meets thread up. Exactly. 
Totally. I love working with you because sometimes, even though we like agree on a lot of things, we're so polar opposites on (laughs) things. Like I would never, (laughs) ever want to buy designer clothes, but I love that like I get to live vicariously through you. So will you, (laughs) when you remember the service, because I'm sure they'll send you an email. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. Put it in the show notes for us. Totally. Wouldn't that be cool if there was that for kitchen equipment? Kitchen stuff? So Totally. Oh man, Stacy, so, maybe we should start that. Oh my gosh, business idea, <laughs> you guys. It started right here. Maybe started we should. Right here. So, okay, but I want to get back to this idea of like the cart before the horse because I have to tell you my Instant Pot story. Okay. Which is that I got an Instant Pot for free through work. I used it. I tested it. I wrote about it. I was like, this is cool. People really like it. Not for me. Not the way that I cook. And I gave it away. See? And then everybody kept like raving about it. And I ended up buying one for myself because I was like, let me try again. And I still did not like it. And I couldn't find the right recipes. And I was so not into it. Kept my slow cooker, which I used periodically. Kept my rice cooker, which you guys all know if you listen to the Instant Pot episode, I still use and still have. And I just didn't use the Instant Pot. And then Melissa Clark, one of my favorite New York Times food writers, released an Instant Pot cookbook. And it changed And it changed everything. And I pulled out my Instant Pot and now I use my Instant Pot minimum once a week. And I just did not self-identify as a pressure cooker kind of cook. And it's shifted the kinds of foods that I make. And I figured out how to use it. It just took, but it took more than a week. I couldn't have learned it from borrowing. It really took a mind shift and a commitment that I think sometimes you can only get when you invest in a piece of equipment and say to yourself, everybody says this is easy. Everybody says this saves time and money. And I'm just going to freaking learn how to use it. And I'm just going to keep at it. Let me play devil's advocate here, which is that we both love to cook. So having these like journeys where we dive into something or we come away from something and then come back to it, like that's typical for us and what we do. And that's, that's like also part of our day job. There are people who just honestly don't like to cook. Like cooking is such a chore to them. Totally. And so to say to them, one, you're going to invest money in this. Two, you're going to invest time in this. And like, it's going to take you a while to get to it. That's a, I think that's a hard sell for especially parents when you're like in the busy season of having toddlers. Um, I know as your kids get older, you have a little more time and, and maybe the instant pot is just like meeting your your needs perfectly right now in this season of your life where you have these ravenous boys, but they also have their own schedules after school. And so you have a little more time. So not to say that you're wrong, but just to bring that other perspective, like you, you don't have to love every piece of cooking equipment. More of your cooking equipment should serve you than be stored. I agree with that. So I guess that's where we agree. I do have to say, though, I've worked in person with a lot of family cooks who, like, nothing brings them joy in the kitchen. Yeah. So being able to say, you need to just pick and choose some things, and this is going to save you time in the end, and just, like, really figure out what kind of cooking and recipes and food you like having in the end and matching that up with your tools is you know, is the way you want to go. And knowing, I think you also bring up another great point about Marie Kondoing, which is that 
needs and the way that you cook, especially when you're a family cook, changes over the years. And those years go faster and faster and faster. I can attest to that. I know it seems like when you have a baby into a toddler, into those very early childhood, you know, school years, it seems like it's going slow. But from like first grade into middle school, oh my gosh, it goes so fast. And the way that they grow and the way that your schedule is changing and everyone's family's need, you know, the needs of everyone in the family changes goes so quickly. And the way you're going to cook is going to change really quickly. And you don't want to have to go shopping and like reinvent the wheel all the time. So having a well-equipped kitchen, I think is really important too, so that you can flex with your changing, the changing needs of your family. So again, I'm not necessarily advocating for a maximalist kitchen. I mean, in Make It Easy, my cookbook, I definitely advocate for paring down. I just don't know that you want to go in looking at it as like what sparks joy. Like, I don't know that that's the right headspace for someone who is a busy home cook who doesn't love to cook. This makes a perfect lightning round. I cannot wait to do this. Ready? Maybe we'll do a two-parter. First, what are two or three things in your kitchen that might be controversial, like not everyone advocates for having, but that you love, that you could never Marie Kondo get rid of? Oh, God, that's hard. Okay. I can, I can like start you off with one. And then the second part would be like, what are three things that you don't have that maybe other people would say, oh, you really have to have this. My first thing is a garlic press. I love a garlic press and like pro chefs, including Alton Brown, who I work with forever. He's like super anti garlic press. And I used to keep one in the test kitchen and I just hit it. (laughs) And I would never get rid of my, I have an OXO garlic press that I love, but I suspect Stacey that you do not have a garlic press. I I have one, but I don't like using it and I kind of hate using it. I don't, I don't care what anyone says. I have like a super expensive one that was like, it will not smash. It will not blah. I'm like, every time I'm like, this is doo-doo and I have to peel out that stupid skin and it annoys me. And I'd rather either microplane it or chop it myself. But I got to say, you know, you and I have really good knife skills, so yeah. I can chop I can, it fast. I can so. mince garlic like it's nobody's business. And I we know. should talk about I've that little it. it's that, sexy. That little tip, <laughs> which is you can use your micro grater, your microplane yes. to like mimic minced garlic really quickly if yeah. you need to. Okay. Yeah. But so do you have anything that's like a garlic press, like something that people might not say you need in a kitchen, but you can't live without? I mean, I wouldn't say that I can't live without it. But once a year, I use my cherry pitter and I use it with glee. I'm like, aren't we happy that I have this thing? (laughs) (laughs) Because I love when you grow up Greek, there are these like sour cherries that get. Oh, I think I mentioned this in one of our first episodes. Yeah. Your love of sour cherries. Oh, it brings us back to the beginning. Anyway, I'll buy fresh sour cherries to make pie. And I'm like, this is so effing great that I have a cherry pitter right now. Otherwise, I'd want to die. And I love it. So I keep it for once a year. (laughs) 
I, I love having it. I can't say like I would tell everyone go out and buy a cherry pitter. No, but don't. It's I useless will for you. Say the that rest we, of you. <laughs> we have one, and like when ch- during cherry season, we make an activity out of like taking our bowl of cherries outside. So the kids can make a mess and they love pitting yeah. cherries. Like they think it's so fun. And then they eat the cherries too, which is just like a bonus. So yeah, it's the best. It's I can kind agree of the best. on that it's one. Very satisfying. Very satisfying. I will also <laughs> say something I keep in my kitchen that n- most people don't is like all of the cake decorating equipment that I have. Like I have a professional cake stand that spins. Oh, I have I've always wanted cakes, one. All the cake smoothers, all the different tips, piping bags galore, even the little like frosting guns because I just love that stuff. I use it twice a year for my kids' birthdays, but I won't get rid of it because it sparks so much joy for me. I think there's like a way more minimalist set that you could have, but I just, I can't, I won't. I love it too much. I love that. I have a lot of stuff that has nothing to do with cooking, but like setting the table. Okay. That I use like once or twice a year that I love. Like I have those like French style water bottles. Okay. With those little like latch tops. Oh yeah. That those just make me so happy. Just like when you have a dinner party to put those out for water instead of like a pitcher just feels like very sophisticated and makes me happy. I can't explain it. (laughs) I also have um, all these tiny little jars like from kids' birthday parties. They're like tiny little mason jars. And then the mason jar lids have like um, a pretty flower hole punch like design out of them that I put like paper straws in. From like, you know, when the boys were younger and I used to have birthday parties here all the time. And I still love those. I can use them for flowers now and I put them around. Like I like that kind of stuff that I keep like high up in my kitchen storage. I have a full on jar hoarding problem. Like even I used to my pasta sauce jars. It's really hard to get rid of them. Oh, really? Yeah. Especially like this is so eccentric, but like. Sometimes you just get a good jar, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. <laughs> you buy pickles or you buy tomato sauce, and it's like the kind of jar where just like the lid fits in a satisfying way. There's not like printing on the outside of the jar, it's like a very specific size. Those are the jars that I have a hard time getting rid of. Mason jars, like standard size, I probably keep a dozen of each size on hand for canning projects, and then like re-up them at thrift stores and stuff as I need them and just buy new lids. But there's this other weird component to my jar hoarding, which is like these very satisfying jars. Maybe I'll pull some, maybe I'll do an Instagram story on didn't I just feed you and like go through the satisfying jar storage. (laughs) I think you should Marie Kondo your jars live on Instagram. (laughs) I think you should do that. Okay. Um, I will. I have a silicone spatula issue. Do you? I love, yeah, I love silicone spatulas. I don't. Spatulas. I have I like five having, spatulas and that's it. Oh my gosh, I love. Oh, and I love a fish spatula. Mm, hmm I mm-hmm. love a fish spatula and I think that's the only spatula you should need. In fact, I got rid of all my other spatulas. See, I don't know. This is the funny thing where I'm like, 
I advocate on one end, but then I'm willing to condense. Like when I find something I like, I'm willing to say like, okay, this works and this works for like X, Y, and Z. So I'll get rid of all those other things that work for X, Y, and Z. You know, like the Instant Pot works for making rice and slow cooking and pressure cookers. So I'll condense. Yeah. But then a fish fish is a great example of like, Okay, so a fish spatula, for anyone who doesn't know, is a very thin metal spatula. It has sort of like a triangle shape to it, almost like a rounded triangle shape to it. You can use it as a – obviously, it's like used in pro kitchens for flipping fish, and that's why it's called a fish spatula because of its shape. It holds a fish fillet or even a whole fish very well for flipping. But in our like everyday kitchens, they're awesome for – flipping pancakes or turning roasted veggies on a sheet pan while they're in the oven. It scoops under things because it's so thin. It scoops under things very well and scoops them up efficiently. So you're not getting like a weird fold in your pancakes when you're trying to flip them. Um, Yeah. It has a little beveled edge. So you get underneath things beautifully without ruining like a sear on meat, for example. I feel like we could have a whole episode. I know. I love it. I mean, but I want before we run out of time, I want to ask, is there anything that you don't have in your kitchen that like most people would find unusual or that most people have in their kitchen? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't think so. Do you? I do. I have one really very specific. <laughs> this is like Tell such me. A you're like, I asked that question so I could answer. <laughs> no, Let me answer now. I just Go. thought of it. No, I'm kidding. I'm okay. Kidding. We do not have a toaster. Don't have a toaster. How do you toast your bread under the broiler? I just turn the broiler yeah. on and we toast bread. And like I'm I do- for that. I'm so here for that. We do have a toaster oven stored in the garage because for a while I did some recipe testing in it. And actually, if I had my preference, I would have like a built-in toaster oven over a built-in microwave. Um, just because I feel like I would use it more. But every time my mom comes to visit, she makes some comment about not having the toaster. Like it really just, she can't wrap her head around the idea that we just like toast slices of bread under the broiler when we need I them. like that. I got to say, we had a whole <laughs> thing because when it was time for a new toaster, Mike really wanted to get a toaster oven. And I was like, that's like overkill. And we don't have the counter space. And then yeah, I decided I didn't have want one space. at all. Yeah. And I was like, why can't we use the oven? And he was like super anti. And so anyway, we just went with like a super cheapy choppy like toaster, like put two pieces of bread, press the button down, pop. Yeah. Like because he just he does breakfast and everybody loves toast. He was like, I just need something. (laughs) I needed to be like easy and fast. But I'm here for your no toaster. Although now you saying that I'm like, oh, my husband does do breakfast like 75% 75% of the time. Maybe I should get him a toaster for Father's oh Day gosh. this year. He would oh. probably delight in that. Oh, thanks, would Stacey. He? Yeah, would I he? think he would. Anything yeah. that would make his breakfast life easier. Yeah. We just have a tiny kitchen, so it's like trying to figure out where to store it that's efficient. I know. You can get a really lean profile one. Like, I'll go to Target, up. Megan. Yeah. Do it. I know, because that's the thing. Like, you can buy a toaster, and it's not expensive. It's not yeah. about the cost of it. It's about the space and feeling I hear like, ya. I have a whole oven whose job it is to toast stuff. Like, Sister, I, I just I hear use you. Um, I want to say one other thing about the Marie Kondo thing before we sign off. Okay. That I just thought of. Say it. 
Also, (laughs) since we're (laughs) about cooking with kids, I just want to put out there that if you are going to Marie Kondo your kitchen... Wait, okay, Marie Kondo, we've made it a verb. There's well, Marie, yeah, there's Marie Kondo. Can we talk about this for a second? Marie is the name of the technique. And okay. it means something. I feel like Apartment Therapy has written about this, the sister site to Kitchen. And so we'll link to it in the show notes. Okay. Like about Marie and what spark joy really means in Japan. It's not the same translation as it is in American. American, excuse me, English. And it's much more in depth than just like, just sparks joy. So anyway, if you're going to do this in your kitchen, one thing that I would say is maybe, and I don't know what Marie Kondo says about pulling kids into the process, but maybe pull them in too. Because the one thing that also concerns me is that as someone who really defined the kitchen as her own personal space, it's taken a lot of work now that my kids are older and I want them to own the kitchen as well. And I want them to be learning to cook for themselves, you know, to bring them back in and for everybody to not just think of it as that's Stacy's space. You know, if you just pare down thinking about your needs only and what sparks you joy, you might be getting rid of things that kids love. And the thing is, kids love stuff. And I know we want to teach them to be minimalist too, especially given, you know, the environmental concerns we have for their future. We want them to have less, you know, fewer things. But you know, they want to explore. The kitchen is, you know, a new environment for a lot of kids. So, you know, having new things that they can discover and play with and kind of just experiment with, and I don't know, just let them get in there and make sure that there's enough stuff too that they can use that you feel comfortable with them using, I think would be really important as well. I think if you've got the space, if you can designate one small drawer or cabinet to stuff that's theirs, that helps like limit them. So they you're not like having to have a bunch of stuff for them, but they also have some ownership in a shared space. So here, here on that. Well, one. that's for little kids. And then I would say for older kids, maybe pull them in even more. You know, we talked about the slow cooker last week or a week recently. Yeah. And, you know, that being a good introduction for kids who, you know, you want to start teaching them to cook savory stuff, but you don't want them near a flame. But then like Isaac's 12, you know, I mean, he should, I feel like he can get in my kitchen. Yeah. Or and, I like, think rummage around and pick up a and pan his- and- his pancake pan because you have like a yes. cast iron skillet that he yeah. uses to make pancakes <laughs> on. It's like the cutest thing. Giving them ownership yeah. is important and yeah. including them in the process. We'll also link in the show notes to a very funny Slate article about trying to Marie Kondo with toddlers yes. who like <laughs> they're obsessed with everything. It's just like a funny mom's rant in my opinion. Okay, before we sign off, what are your top three food emojis this week, Stacey? Oh my gosh, let me look. Why didn't you tell yours while I find mine? Uh, face I ID, face two. ID. There's <laughs> <laughs> <Where's> my face. <laughs> I only had two food emojis this week, which were cheese and pizza. So I also am throwing the shrug emoji at you, which is probably one of my top 10 <laughs> most used <laughs> emojis. <laughs> okay, mine. Oh my gosh, cheese and pizza. <laughs> I swear to God, that's hilarious. Cheese and pizza. And actually, wow, I used a lot of food emoji this week. I have two others. 
I which wonder are? which I should give you. <laughs> Tell us both. You can have more than three. It's allowed. Actually, I have we, three others. We bread, make the lollipop, show. Lollipop, hot dog. Bread, okay. lollipop, hot dog. That's funny because we were recently talking so much about <laughs> hot dogs. Hot dog. <laughs> and you posted some to your Instagram. So good segue. Don't forget to follow Stacy at Stacy Billis. And I am at Stir and Scribble on Instagram. You can also find us at Didn't I Just Feed You on Instagram and Facebook, where you can join our private listeners group. The answer to the secret question is whiskey. Whiskey. And most importantly, subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, tell your friends about us and leave a review on iTunes. It makes a really big difference. And we read every single one of those reviews with we love joy. Them. They spark joy. Your reviews spark joy. <laughs> so much joy. Our music is Good Old Times by Alex Cohen, provided by Jay Mendo. A huge thank you to our editor, Jeremy Enns, and the team at Counterweight Creative. I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Stay sane and well fed until next week. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to smash all five stars on iTunes and subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding us kids and families. Mommy needs that. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.